0: Hey, you've made it to the summit. Fantastic. The pinnacle has been reached. Now that you're at the top of the mountain, it simply becomes easier for people to see you and throw rocks at you. I'm sure you've heard that informal and contemporary proverb in one form or flavor or another. While I absolutely believe this is true to some degree on an individual level, the exact same thing can be said on an academic and scientific level. What I mean is, that proverb can apply to a piece of research just as easily as it can to an individual. Let me explain. We are now five years into the publication of the ARRIVE trial which came out in 2018. This opened the door to elective induction of labor at 39 weeks in an otherwise low-risk pregnancy. But five years later, authors and researchers are still debating whether a 39-week elective induction is helpful or not. Yep, the rebuttals and the retorts against the ARRIVE trial began shortly after its publication, and they are still active even now, with a recent publication from February 2023 having an opposing view. Yep, while some have called for a universal adoption of the 39-week rule, others have put the brakes on the plan. In this episode, we're going to dive into this persistent on-again, off-again dilemma of elective induction at 39 weeks. This podcast idea comes from one of our podcast family members who sent me the following message on May the 27th. Quote, Hey, Dr. Choppa, what are your thoughts on elective induction at 39 weeks? I've had multiple discussions with my co-fellow about how it may not be the best option for some of our pregnant folks, especially those who have had an unsuccessful, uninduced vaginal delivery. My attending sent me an interesting article from the Journal of Perinatology, which questions the validity of that ARRIVE trial. Would love any input that you have on this subject, end quote. Man, what a great topic to discuss. There's so much to unpack here, and we're going to get to that article which came out in print in February 2023. And we will also discuss a separate study that followed in March 2023 on the very same issue. And is 39-week elective induction of labor even cost-effective? Lots of angles to examine here, and we will get to all of that in this episode. And as always, you'll want to stay with us until the end of the episode, because I'll provide my personal perspective and typical practice regarding elective induction of labor at 39 weeks. Y'all ready? Lots to get into. So let's start right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. On August 8, 8th, 2018, a randomized controlled trial that compared elective induction of labor at 39 weeks with expectant management among low-risk Nulliparous women was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. This was the ARRIVE trial. This study was a large, unmasked, multi-center trial conducted from March 2014 to August 2017 and included over 6,000 women. Half of them were in the induction group and then the other half were randomized to expectant management. The trial was conducted at 41 facilities across the United States and it consisted of both university as well as community hospitals. 62% in the induction group and 64% in the expectant management group had a Bishop score of less than 5 at time of randomization. This study demonstrated no statistical difference in the primary composite outcome of perinatal mortality and severe perinatal morbidity. The pre-specified major maternal outcome was cesarean delivery rate. This was noted to be significantly lower in the induction of labor group at 18.6% compared to 22.2%, which gave a relative risk of 0.84. Analysis of other secondary outcomes noted significantly lower rates in the induction of labor group of gestational hypertension and preeclampsia, as well as a decreased need for neonatal respiratory support within the first 72 hours of life. No other differences in perinatal or maternal outcomes were detected. For ARRIVE participants, protocols for induction of labor or augmentation were not specified across the different trial sites. Sites were encouraged to provide adequate cervical ripening and to adhere to national guidelines for diagnosing labor dystocia. The arrived trial received national and international attention, with various groups endorsing adoption for practice, despite the fact that the trial itself did have some pretty obvious limitations, and I'm going to get into those a little bit later on in the episode. Following the release of the ARRIVE trial, the ACOG released a practice advisory in the same month, that's ACOG Practice Advisory with the title, Clinical Guidance for Integration of the Findings of the ARRIVE Trial, Labor Induction Versus Expected Management in Low-Risk Nulliparous Women. This was reaffirmed in October of 2022. As stated by the ACOG in that practice advisory, quote, based on the findings demonstrated in this trial, it's reasonable for obstetricians and healthcare facilities to offer elective induction of labor to low-risk nulliparous women at 39 weeks gestation. However, consideration for enactment of this elective induction of labor intervention should not only take into account the trial findings, but also the recommendation that it's conditional upon the values and preferences of the pregnant woman, the resources available, and the setting in which the intervention will be implemented. A collaborative discussion with shared decision-making should take place with the pregnant woman." Now let's stop here for just a minute. When the ARRIVE trial was first released, I remember the original debates around this. Some healthcare providers interpreted the findings as a mandate for induction of labor at 39 weeks for all pregnant women. But that is just not the case at all. This is simply an option. It's an evidence-based option, but it's an option in which shared decision-making must include the patient's wishes. And of course, the patient has to have sure gestational dating. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but even though the trial did have a little bit of logistical issues, and there's some criticism about how much that one trial, the ARRIVE trial, can be applicable in the general population, I'm going to cover all of that, don't worry, Um, it has still got some valid points, and the data was pretty concrete, all right? And there are definitely some known benefits to elective induction at 39 weeks in the otherwise uh, low-risk, no-medical-indication patient, all right? And it's not just ARRIVE. Other studies have shown the exact same thing, and I'm going to summarize those in just a minute. Okay, so for right now, where we are in this message, here's a quick clinical pearl. ARRIVE trial, despite some logistical issues that we'll address in a moment, does have validity. There is definitely benefit to induction at 39 weeks even without a medical indication as long as the patient is willing and has good gestational criteria. And it's not just the ARRIVE trial. Other studies have shown the exact same thing even though ARRIVE was the first one to be this large scale and done as an RCT. Even though again there's other rebuttals and we're going to address two of those rebuttals from this year 2023 in just a moment because the ARRIVE trial was not perfect but it still was pretty good. The ARRIVE trial was the first large-scale RCT showing benefit to elective induction of labor at 39 weeks. But other studies have shown similar benefits to elective induction. For example, Valent et al. published in 2016 in the Journal of Maternal-Fetal Medicine, a retrospective cohort study that demonstrated a similar nadir in the risk of adverse neonatal outcomes at 39 weeks of gestation. And that was for women of all ages the largest magnitude of relative risk for neonatal morbidity with advanced gestational age was identified among women older than age 40, meaning that elective induction means something different to the younger patient where there's still value there, but it may mean something much more protective as the patient gets older. Now, that's a big factor here, and we're going to discuss maternal age in that March 2023 publication from the American Journal of Perinatology. But all to say, elective induction, fine, definitely benefits as a group, but there may be much more benefits when the patient has advancing age beyond the age of 35, okay? That article was Gestational Age-Specific Neonatal Morbidity Among Pregnancies Complicated by Advanced Maternal Age, a population-based retrospective cohort study. Again, the author was valent, and it was published in the Journal of Maternal-Fetal and Neonatal Medicine in 2016. I hope you all caught the two main clinical pearls in that valent paper. One, induction of labor, 39 weeks, seems to be a go because, again, there's a nadir in maternal and neonatal adverse issues at 39 weeks. But the second point is very important which is hey there may be more benefit as the patient gets older specifically they stated at the age of 40 and above this raises the important question the important point about elective induction at 39 weeks meaning something different to patients based on their maternal age age is a big deal here as stated in the ACOG obstetrical care consensus number 11 quote a cumulative risk model found that the risk of stillbirth in women aged 40 to 44 years at 39 weeks of gestation was comparable with the risks at 42 weeks in women who were aged 25 to 29 years, end quote. Now, this gets into the question, well, wait a minute, isn't an induction of labor at 39 weeks in a 40-year-old medically necessary? I mean, is that still an elective induction? My answer is, well, yeah, I think it's still elective because as long as there's no medical or fetal condition it's kind of elective. Now, I know what you're thinking, but wait a minute, wait a minute, Choppa, over the age of 35, that's pregnancy of advanced maternal age, and that's a high-risk pregnancy arrivals in low-risk pregnancies. Yes, I get that, that's fine, but my point is about the term elective induction. Is age alone, without diabetes, without growth restriction, uh, without multifetal gestation, uh, without chronic hypertension, or hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, is age alone, when there's not a fetal or a medical indication for induction, is age alone still an an elective induction, or is that non-elective? I don't know. It's kind of hard to figure out, right? My point is, this is why the term elective induction means something different based on the patient's characteristics and age. Again, I love how the authors of the publication from March 2023 put it in their closing statements, and I'm going to tell you that in my personal perspective at the end of the episode. Mm Um, I think that sounded a little soapbox-ish, didn't it? It did to me. Not the intent. Sorry. Anyway, just pontificating on something. I wanted to share that with you. (laughs) All right, let's get back on track. The value of elective induction of labor was also shown in a 2018 Cochrane review. Now, even though this came out in 2018, the same year as ARRIVE, it did not include the ARRIVE trial. This Cochrane meta-analysis included RCTs of induction at term or post-term gestation and had an N of close to 10,000. This showed that early delivery indeed reduced perinatal death, NICU admission, meconium aspiration syndrome, and 5-minute APGAR scores less than 7. This was published by Middleton et al. in the Cochrane Database Systematic Reviews in 2018. Now let's look at one more piece of research just to kind of cinch this down that there is benefit to induction of labor at 39 weeks even in the low-risk, non-medically indicated patient. In February 2022, Burns et al. presented their data at SMFM as an oral communications. The title was, quote, Waiting for induction, maternal outcomes in elective inductions of labor at increased gestational age, end quote. This was a retrospective cohort study. Similar to ARRIVE, the authors concluded, In a heterogeneous obstetric population with diverse providers delivering in a real-world setting, there is evidence that elective induction in the 39th week is associated with the lowest rate of C-section and maternal morbidity compared to elective induction at later weeks. This data adds real-world evidence to bolster randomized controlled trial data, suggesting that induction at 39 weeks may be risk-reducing compared to elective inductions at later gestational ages, end quote. Isn't that interesting? So remember, this is after the ARRIVE trial. This is now 2022. ARRIVE was in 2018. And they're like, look. ARRIVE trial was in a rigid RCT structured kind of protocol, even though induction of labor was not specified, it was kind of left to each specific site. Um, But now, even in a real world, more diverse patient population and more diverse practice setting, we found the same thing. Now, this is important because that was one of the criticisms of the ARRIVE trial, that it's a rigid, it was a very protocol to kind of deal, and it had only certain kinds of patients more represented than others. Again, that's a criticism. That This wasn't very diverse. I'm going to explain that in a minute because that's one of the articles that we're going to cover from 2023. That's the article in February. That's the rebuttal to arrive. It's like, I don't know if I want to do that. That data uh, has issues. That's the opinion of the authors from February 2023, and I'm going to get into that in a minute. But even in a real-world setting, which was that criticism from February 2023, even in a real-world setting shown last year in February 2022, the arrived trial data and the concept of election induction at 39 weeks seems to have been upheld. I promise we're going to get into these two 2023 publications, but before we review them, and remember, they're both in the American Journal of Perinatology, I want to discuss one more important issue here, and that's the goal of an elective induction of labor. Remember, these are elective. Maternal and fetal condition are stable, they're normal, and there's no indication for late preterm or early term delivery. Everything is good, right? Right. What is the goal of an elective induction of labor at 39 weeks? Now think about it. What's the goal of an elective induction of labor at 39 weeks? If your first thought is, well, that's obvious, it's it's delivery, then I actually have a rebuttal for you. The goal of labor is indeed delivery, but the goal of an elective induction of labor Is labor itself, right? It's the induction of labor. We're trying to get the patient into labor. And then the goal of that established labor is in turn delivery. No, it's not simply semantics, and I'm not crazy, but I'm setting up a point here because this is going to matter when we talk about the February 2023 publication from the American Journal of Perinatology. In other words, if a patient is otherwise low-risk and agrees to have an elective induction of labor at 39 weeks— Remember, of course, assuming that she has sure gestational dating and the fetal status is reassuring, we have to remember that there's no guarantee that that elective induction is going to work. Now, we do everything to set the patient up for success. We check the Bishop score. We give a cervical ripening. And we give the patient ample time to enter into the active phase. Now, that could be 18 hours. It could be 24 hours. It depends on whatever your policy and procedure is is at your institution. Most consider a satisfactory trial anywhere from 18 to 24 hours. And if there is no clear cervical progression and the maternal and fetal condition continue to look stable, then it's perfectly okay to stop the induction. And my point is, this is where some of these drive up the C-section rate because the patient is continued on a prolonged trial of labor, the Pitocin receptors downregulate, then she gets uterine inertia, and then she gets a cut. And that's something that may explain the findings in the February 2023 publication from the American Journal of Perinatology that we haven't even gotten into. My whole point is, the purpose of an elective induction of labor is just that— to induce labor, and then labor will carry you to delivery. So uh, we get frequently, we get the call, right, when we're in labor and delivery, hey, I'm sending over a patient for induction. And I'm like, great, no problem. And then my next thing that I say is, is she for a trial of labor or is she for delivery? And that's something completely different. A patient who's for delivery is because that's no longer elective. There's a medical necessity or an obstetrical issue. There's fetal growth restriction with abnormal Dopplers. There's hypertensive disorder of pregnancy. There's something else. In other words, I can tell that patient, we're going to do this trial of labor, but you will not leave labor and delivery undelivered. That's when there's a pressing need for delivery. But if there's otherwise no pressing need for the delivery and the patient is low risk and is just an elective trial of induction, it's okay to stop. Continuing with a prolonged elective induction of labor while the patient remains early in the latent phase is what drives up the C-section rate. This is also addressed in the ACOG FAQ section on induction of labor at 39 weeks. Quote, if your labor does not progress, and if you and your baby are doing well after attempting induction, you may be sent home. You can schedule another appointment to try induction again. If your labor starts, you should go back to the hospital. End quote. Now remember, this is for the FAQ section from the college is for patients. That's why it's directed towards the patient. But the whole point I'm trying to make here is that an elective induction of labor is just that. It's an elective trial. And unless there's a press need for delivery, it's okay to stop. But somehow we get it in our head that she's here for labor induction and she will end up with a delivery. Not the case. The goal of elective induction of labor is to have labor. And then the goal of that labor is then to have delivery. Oh boy, we haven't even gotten to the First of our two 2023 publications yet, but we're there now, okay? This brings us to Mazinschak's referenced article in his message to us. The article was by Langan et al., and the title is Outcomes of Elective Induction of Labor at 39 Weeks from a Statewide Collaborative Quality Initiative. This was published in the American Journal of Perinatology, and it went to print in February 2023. Now, remember we said in the intro, oh, when you hit the pinnacle, when you get to the top of the mountain. That's where people can throw rocks at you. (laughs) And that's okay. Hey, look, I'm all for criticisms and professional critiques of a study. That's how the scientific process goes. We should never accept anything carte blanche without questioning it. So I'm thankful for this Langen study. It's good, and it raises some important points about the ARRIVE trial. Now, remember, we said we're going to talk about two articles from 2023. This is the first one. This is kind of the rebuttal to the ARRIVE trial. And then the second one followed just a month thereafter in March of 2023. But we're going to get to that in a minute. Let's stick here with the Langen February 23 publication, which was from a statewide collaborative quality initiative after they started this plan for induction of labor at 39 weeks. The objective of this study was to evaluate the impact of adopting a practice of elective induction at 39 weeks among nulliparis, term, singleton, vertex pregnancies in a statewide collaborative. The investigators used data from a statewide maternity hospital collaborative quality initiative that analyzed pregnancies that reached 39 weeks without a medical indication for delivery. Now, they compared patients who underwent this elective induction with those who experienced expectant management. The elective induction of labor cohort was then compared with this propensity score matched cohort who were managed expectantly. Now, hold on a minute, because that's one of the criticisms of this critique. (laughs) All right, so this February 2023 journal is a criticism. It's a critique of the Arrive trial from 2018 based on what they found in their own study. But then there's a critique even of this publication because these authors used a propensity scoring comparison group. Like, what the heck is that? I'm going to tell you in a minute. I have no beef against propensity scores. Uh, I think they have a valuable place, but they can be used incorrectly and that can bias results, all right? So all to say, this is not a cohort or comparison group like an RCT. They said, who had an induction of labor? Now let's match those. That's that the computer program find our, our matching characteristic style of patient to pick them out of a database, and we use that as the expected management group, all right? That's one of the criticisms of this February 2023 publication. The primary outcome, like ARRIVE trial was cesarean birth rate, secondary outcomes included time to delivery and maternal and neonatal morbidities. So, what were the results of the Langen study? Well, there were a pretty sharp rebuttal to the ARRIVE trial. When compared with all expectantly managed women, the elective induction of labor was associated with a higher c section rate. That's completely opposite to what the ARRIVE trial found. Now, remember, this was not a RCT. This was basically a database query using propensity matched and unmatched cohorts, all right? So, and we'll explain what propensity scoring is in just a minute. They also found time from admission to delivery was longer in the elective induction cohort compared with the two matched and unmatched expectant management groups. Expectantly managed women were also less likely to have a postpartum hemorrhage. They were less likely to have operative delivery, whereas women who underwent an elective induction were less likely to have hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. That was the same finding as the ARRIVE trial. In this study by Langan, neonatal outcomes did not benefit from elective induction of labor. All right, so let's stop there for a minute. So it is a pretty stark contrast against the ARRIVE trial. But remember, it's done completely different. This used this uh, propensity scoring system, which also has some issues and may bias some of their results. Now, that's why we talked about what the goal was with induction of labor, because in this cohort, we don't know what the practice style was. In other words, if it was elective induction, well, did they keep going until they had a delivery or until they had labor arrest, or was it just a trial of labor? You see, this criticism pops up here, and that's why this discussion was important. It's important to note how these patients were managed, and that's not very clear from this publication. These authors also point out a true and valid criticism of the original ARRIVE trial. As stated in the 2023 publication, quote In addition, We observed that the practice of elective induction of labor at 39 weeks was not applied equally across demographic groups, but rather was more likely to be employed with women who were older, greater than 35 years, who were non-Hispanic white and privately insured, end quote. Now, let me just clarify what what they said here, they're talking about the ARRIVE trial, right? So Langan et al. said, hey, not only did we not find the same things that ARRIVE did in our database search, but ARRIVE has issues. So Langan et al. has basically questioned the validity of the ARRIVE trial, saying that it may not be clinically applicable in a more diverse real-world setting. But remember that the publication from last year in 2022 actually showed well it kind of does even though it was not an rct and that was a retrospective cohort remember we talked about that just a while ago it found the same thing that nadir in risk at 39 weeks all to say langan does point out some limitations of the arrive trial that are correct But it's not just ARRIVE. Again, other studies have pointed to the validity to elective induction at 39 weeks in those that are low risk without a medical indication. Before we leave this Langan February 2023 publication, which was basically a rebuttal to the ARRIVE trial, I do want to explain quickly about this propensity score matching system, okay? Because that's one that most people aren't familiar with unless you're in academia or you do a lot of research. And this issue of propensity score matching is also controversial. I'm going to put in our list of references a nice link that was actually published by some Harvard researchers questioning the validity and the actual bias of using propensity scores. Now, ironically, you use a propensity score to try to eliminate bias up front. <laughs> but even though you can eliminate some bias up front by matching as much as possible certain uh, cohort patient uh, characteristics, you can actually not control well later on downstream. Okay, So as stated by these Harvard researchers in their thesis, and again I'll post that link in the reference line, quote, we show that propensity score matching, an enormously popular method for pre-processing data for casual inference, often accompanies the opposite of intended goals, thus increasing imbalance, inefficiency, model dependence, and actual bias in the results, End quote. That's not my statement. (laughs) That's actually out of some Harvard uh, researchers that have looked at the statistics using propensity score matching that even though it's intended to do a good job, sometimes it doesn't and can actually bias the results. Again, that's one of the criticisms of this February 2023 publication, which itself is a criticism of the 2018 ARRIVE trial. Ah, don't you just love science? Well, at least we've already covered one of our two articles that we were supposed to review from 2023. And as I get into this next one from March of 2023, we have to dive in a little bit more in detail and dissect this relationship between elective induction of labor and maternal age. We alluded to this already the ARRIVE trial did not find any substantial differences on subanalysis based on maternal age. But this recent publication from March 2023, also in the American Journal of Perinatology, did find a difference in the outcomes of elective induction of labor stratified for maternal age. This is specifically in terms of C-section risk. This was a publication again from March 2023 in the American Journal of Perinatology. The results of this study were actually first presented at a poster session at SMFM on Friday, January 29, 2021, and this is the peer-reviewed publication of that poster. The lead author is Hirsch, and the title is Outcomes Among Nullipairs Women Undergoing Non-Medically Indicated Induction of Labor at 39 Weeks Compared with Expected Management Differ by Maternal Age. This was a retrospective cohort study of singleton non-anomalous deliveries between 2007 and 2012 in California. They defined non-medically indicated induction as an induction of labor without a specific medical indication and women with planned cesarean section were obviously excluded. They compared the induction of labor group with the expected management group beyond the gestational age of induction and examined this comparison in different maternal age groups. Numerous maternal and neonatal outcomes were also examined. This study demonstrated that obstetrical outcomes vary among women undergoing non-medically indicated induction of labor compared with expectant management when stratified by maternal age. The odds of cesarean delivery with induction decreased with increasing maternal age compared with expectant management. So let's say that again because that's the big clinical pearl from this March 2023 publication. The odds of cesarean delivery with induction of labor decreased with increasing maternal age compared with expectant management. As the authors commented, quote, These findings illustrate the importance of understanding age-related differences in outcome associated with non-medically indicated induction of labor. They go on to say, quote, Our results further demonstrate the neonatal benefit of non-medically indicated induction at 39 weeks because NICU admissions and neonatal respiratory distress syndrome were lower among all age groups. They go on to say, while the arrived trial found no statistically significant improvement in neonatal outcomes, there was a statistical trend towards a reduction in neonatal complications in the induction group. End quote. So isn't that interesting? This is different than what was found in the ARRIVE study. In ARRIVE, the pre-specified subgroup analysis didn't actually find any difference based on maternal age. But this next publication, again from March 2023, shows that, hey, as a group, induction definitely decreases C-section rate as exposed to expected management, but it's even more so as women have advanced maternal age. So, maternal age is a factor here. Okay, podcast family, as promised, now that we're at the end of the episode, I'd like to provide my personal perspective on this 39-week elective induction of labor dilemma. I am an absolute believer in the data, and am a strong advocate and defender of the ARRIVE trial, even though there are some true and acknowledged limitations with the study, and we discussed those earlier on in the episode. Nonetheless, I still believe the burden of evidence lies towards favoring an elective induction of labor at 39 weeks. I believe nothing good happens past full-term gestation. However, as our podcast family member correctly stated, this isn't necessarily appropriate for everyone. I never compel a patient to choose induction at 39 weeks over expectant management when there's no medical or obstetrical indication. Nonetheless, for those patients who are above the age of 35, and definitely for those who are 40 years of age or older, I do strongly recommend induction at 39 weeks based on the data, as I do for those patients with obesity. Remember that our job as healthcare providers is to provide the risks and benefits and allow the patient to decide respecting her autonomy. That's what ACOG said That's part of shared decision-making when it's an elective induction. I really like what Hirsch et al. state in their concluding statements from their publication from March 2023, quote, while induction of labor is a medical intervention and may not be desired by every woman, patients should be counseled about the potential benefits as it relates to their individual characteristics, end quote. So yes, I do offer non-medically indicated elective induction at 39 weeks, always respecting of course the patient's personal preference and autonomy. And this raises the other question. Oh wait a minute, if we're offering all these elective inductions, I mean, is this cost-effective or is this going to break the system? Well, thankfully there's actually data for that as well. Studies have reported that hospital costs are indeed higher with elective induction compared with spontaneous onset of labor. However, and here's a clinical pearl, in the only study where outpatient cost data was also available, antepartum outpatient costs were less for women undergoing elective induction compared with expectant management. So overall, healthcare costs in both groups are similar. That was published by Hirsch, the same author that we just discussed, in 2020 in their journal, Obstetrics Gynecology, The Green Journal. And in that same publication in The Green Journal, a separate publication by Ironson et al. found similar data. The first publication by HERSH, that's H-E-R-S-H, the first publication by her was titled Maternal and Neonatal Hospitalization Costs Associated with Elective Induction of Labor at Term in California from 2007 to 2011. And that second publication by Ironson, again also in the Green Journal, was titled Cost of Elective Induction Compared with Expectant Management and Nulliparous Women. Both of those were in 2020 in June. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. You see, I warned you, didn't I? I told you at the intro, there's a lot to unpack here. So when I received that Facebook message just yesterday, hey, Dr. Ciampa, are you a believer in the 39-week elective induction plan? It would have been so much easier just to say, oh, the ARRIVE trial? Sure, maybe it had some issues, but it's pretty legit and I'm a believer. That would have been easy. But it would have been a disservice because, as you've seen, there's a lot to unpack there. Plus, we've also covered two recent publications from this year, from 2023. One from February, which is actually a rebuttal to the ARRIVE trial, and the one that was released just the following month in March 2023, stating that maternal age is also a factor with elective induction, where patients with advanced maternal age actually benefit the most compared to patients who are younger. As always, we're thankful for you and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.